Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Corey Walsh Podcast. Uh, today is Monday, the 11th, and we're going to be talking to Ian Lenahan about The Last Dance, parts 5 through 8. We had him on two weeks ago before to talk about parts 1 through 4, and uh, the parts 5 through 8 are just as good as 1 through 4. We're going to be talking about Michael Jordan as a tyrant and about the Bulls as a whole, so I hope you guys stay tuned and enjoy the whole episode. All right, so uh, now we have uh, Ian Lenahan on to talk about uh, parts five through eight of The Last Dance. Welcome back, Ian. Thanks, Corey. Let's do this. All right. Uh, so what did you think about this second uh, part? Uh, well, I guess like the last four episodes because we split it into two. It was terrible. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> How did it drop I... off so fast? <laughs> no, I mean, I think it's still really, really, really good. Um, and just being able to see how they hop back and forth between the early uh, part of the dynasty, the earlier, the first part, and then back between, you know, 1993, those first couple of years, and then back to the second three-peat, I thought was, um, I, I think it's really well woven is a weird way to put it, but that's how I, that's how I feel. Yeah. I feel like I've seen on Twitter that people are like, kind of like upset with how people, how the documentary is kind of strung together. They don't, they think like, how confusing is it for you to just realize that they're following the timeline of the 1998 season and then going back like in reverse. Those are just stupid people, Corey. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, I agree. It's like, I'm not one of them. What? No, I didn't comment on that. What? <laughs> no, that wasn't my post. Look, I'm just going to check my Twitter real quick, though. I'm going to delete something really quick. <laughs> All right, so um, episode five kind of started the Be Like Mike narrative. They kind of dove in about his uh, sneaker deal with Nike, which I be- I guess was basically the equivalent if like LeBron was like coming out of high school was like, you know what, I'm going to choose A6. That's mm. going to be my brand. Everyone when Nike was picked was like, what? I mean, like, it was not even considered one of those. It was mostly a track-based shoe. Yeah, this smaller company from Oregon. Yeah, whatever would happen. (laughs) Very off the wall and how he initially, right? Um, If these walls could talk. Um, (laughs) No, but, and then imagine if he chose Adidas. That would have been pretty cool for Adidas. They would have probably dominated soccer and basketball. Every 50-year-old man with a pair of Adidas kicks right now is foaming at the mouth of what could have been. <laughs> I could be like Mike in my air foam J's. <laughs> and if I didn't have sciatica. <laughs> I, um, I felt like they also said that uh, the Converse were the popular basketball shoe at the time, but they weren't like flashy or anything. Yeah. And what made Nike really stand out is that they like went for like flash and every other basketball shoe was like just function. Yeah. Um, I feel like feel like the Jordans were the really the first pair of I mean Flash is a much better way to put it, but you know, the really really colorful, really eccentric shoe. And then it sounded like they were the first to really work with um with someone like Michael Jordan or you know, whoever the, the brand is named after to really figure out the comfort of the shoe too and how it works. <laughs> yeah, Larry Bird with Converse wasn't going like you can just throw leather on and just slap my name on it. <laughs> I've got blisters everywhere. But I'm a farmer's man, and my back still hurts. So it's totally <laughs> fine. And then uh, they kind of, well, the thing, I guess the MVP for Nike was Jordan's mother, who when Michael Jordan was like, I don't want to go to Nike, was just like, 
you're going to go. They're offering yeah. you record-setting money. There's no reason why you shouldn't go. Thank God for a mother's influence. <laughs> yeah. You think Michael's appreciative or what? Thank you, Dolores. Seeing as Dolores looks like she's 20 years younger than her actual age. You know, good for her. <laughs> I was just like, that's Michael's mother? <laughs> Who's your dermatologist? <laughs> God, the cream you must use on your face. <laughs> Neutrogena. <laughs> Thanks. Sciatica. Wait. <laughs> I uh, Another thing that was also pretty, because like, I've seen the 30 for 30 where they did the whole shoes thing. Like That just made Nike go to a whole different level of uh, profit <laughs> when Michael Jordan signed with them, which is so weird because you, he's like he got drafted third, but he was regarded <laughs> as like the best college player. But yet, I don't know any other player in today's game that would be drafted third that would become no. the entire face of a shoe. No, that's that's absolutely crazy. I mean, even players from you know Kevin Durant was taken number two, and um, Derek, I mean Derek Rose was number one. But there was no way that that was ever going to be even fathomable for that to happen for them to come out right out of college and get their own shoe. That's just ridiculous. It'd be like when Lonzo Nike saw something though, <laughs> just like the Lonzo Ball experiment. Two triple D. <laughs> Lonzo Ball is basically the Michael Jordan of this generation, is what I'm saying in terms of entrepreneurship. <laughs> the bad bastard boys. Wait. <laughs> Lamella, Leangelo, and Lonzo. Little little Dicky. <laughs> the pioneers of the Baller brand. I don't even think is Lonzo still under Baller brand. I don't think he is. I think he just wears Nikes. I haven't watched Ball in the Family in way too long. No, I think he does. <laughs> he, yeah, he was he was a different type. <laughs> Dude, best Facebook watch show ever. It's like the only one they have. And Tom versus Time. Shout out Zuckerberg. <laughs> God, he is a film genius. <laughs> and uh, the thing also about the shoes, <laughs> the shoes is that it's like it just i just don't see it like it to me it was like if like michael kid gilchrist came out of college because he was like taken third and you just see like i don't even know i guess i'll use asics again <laughs> like asics just goes like hey you know what we're not a basketball shoe but hell we'll give you a full massive contract we're ready to convert <laughs> But Jesus, it's MKG. How could you not? <laughs> he is touted. <laughs> Anthony Bennett gets a full offer from Converse. <laughs> the Bennett Fours. <laughs> you too could have a have a nas a nasal passageway issue <laughs> and drop out America of the league. <laughs> America's sixth man. <laughs> You too could feel like a man who once had aspirations of being in the NBA, only foiled by poor weight. And the excessive cold of Syracuse. <laughs> was he at UNLV? Yeah, was he was UNLV. I'm going to hang up. <laughs> uh, then uh, then uh, we'll shift it a little seriously here. Uh, that the All-Star game was the second part of this, really, where they... Well, they opened it with, I think, that uh, Kobe, was, it was his first All-Star game. I guess he was, like, like a teenager 19. still when he, 19. 19. yeah. And it was kind of, like, to show that Michael Jordan kind of inspired the next generation. I feel like that's why they primarily used him. And, obviously, everyone who basically has watched basketball goes, like, well, Kobe is the closest thing we have to Michael. Mm-hmm. 
which I guess when you see the leadership part in later parts that we'll talk about, it's pretty accurate because Kobe was known as not being the most friendly teammate of all time. And the confidence. Yeah, and the moves apparently because uh, Kobe said something basically along the lines like that every move that you like from me, I basically got from Michael. Yeah, I wouldn't have five championships if it wasn't for him. <laughs> or Pau Gasol. <laughs> Shout out, PG. <laughs> no, it'd be like, without Robert Sacre's cheering on the bench, I couldn't get anything done. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. that, It was so cool, though, because I feel like it's much easier for young players to get in today because it's like they're the, the face. But I feel like it was much different back then because the best players were the older players. And it's not like now where every yeah. generation that comes up is better than the last. Yeah, there's never or there wasn't ever a sort of thing as like the youth movement. It was kind of, you know, I feel like everyone had grown up or not everyone, but people had grown up watching like magic and Larry and um, those kind of guys come up through college and then dominate the league for the next couple of years. And then in, you know, in that whole time when that was going on, there wasn't really anybody coming up who was kind of having the impact that Michael Jordan and Kobe did. Yeah. It was pretty interesting. Cause like, even when you think about Michael getting the torch passed to him, he entered the league in, like, what, 18, 1884. Damn, way back when. Damn. Feel old yet? How'd they get Netflix get this doc? It's uh, 1990 or 1988, and then it took him until, like, or 1986, and it took him until, like, 1991 to become, like, the face of the league. And it's, like, crazy because, like, Jordan and, I mean, uh, Bird and Magic were already towards, like, the end of their career. And it's just, like, the lasting power, I guess. Yeah. Just to clarify, 1984. I'm going to jump off a bridge. (laughs) It's okay, man. It's not 1886. (laughs) God, the Constitution was lit. (laughs) Uh yeah, so like and then it was so funny just hearing Michael in the locker room talking about Kobe and they're just like uh the the little Laker boy. The Laker boy. Well, I mean obviously he he's only nineteen, but he commanded some sort of respect if that's what the whole locker room was talking about at the time. Yeah, even though they're just basically shit talking and being like, That guy won't pass and I guarantee you in the all star game, if he just keeps taking these ISO ball plays, it doesn't pass the ball, then he won't touch it for the rest of the game. And then him and Michael just went off that whole time. It was another one of those instances that the documentary referenced where they were like, uh, the uh, Michael would look for any source of inspiration in order to drive himself for a game. Yeah. And he just knew that Kobe was coming in with all this attention and he just didn't want to have any, like him to have any of the light. He wanted it all on him. Yeah. So he had to go and have his best performance ever in an all-star game. Against the 19-year-old. Oh, dude, it was so weird seeing Kobe Bryant. It was such a somber thing seeing him in. I, I don't want to. I think it's like a now famous from the certain photos of him, but in that famous orange sweatshirt that he had. And I don't know, just seeing him talk about everything. I wonder when they filmed this whole thing. That's something I don't know. But Well, if they far started filming back in 2016, it like the footage just could just be like anywhere between then. For interviews, yeah, I mean. Yeah. The interview yeah. part. Except David Stern was interviewed, and I thought David Stern 
passed he away. He did, yeah. He did. I was actually, not to jump away from episode five or anything, but I was actually very surprised when, um, not surprised that they gave the in-memoriam to, for episode five to Kobe Bryant, but then they didn't say anything for David Stern, too, you know? Oh, yeah, that's, that's true. I feel like because yeah. it was like David Stern died and it was like kind of expected because he was an older man, but Kobe was just so young that it was like unexpected. And obviously, yeah, very tragic, too. But I guess in the role that he played for the NBA in general, that I guess yeah. it is weird that he didn't include him. So, you know, I'll just con- I'll just controverse myself. Contradict. A, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it was very somber to see that, but yeah, very interesting to see that, or, you know, have Kobe admit, well, I wouldn't have all this if it wasn't for someone like Michael Jordan. Yeah, it was pretty... It's just pretty interesting to watch. I mean, also it just made me really upset that the All-Star game just seemed like it was such a spectacle, like the game itself. Yeah, that people actually cared. Yeah, that must be really awful. Wouldn't it be nice? (laughs) Be like Mike. Give a shit in the All-Star game. (laughs) And now it's such an absolute joke. I mean, as talented as they're, you're like, you have Luka Doncic. This wasn't in the actual All-Star game itself, but like Luka Doncic pulling up from like, 45 feet away or something or other it's just like what does this game even come to now but i guess the one this past year was really good i remember i had homework so i really couldn't watch it but it was supposed oh yeah to... you, did, you didn't watch with us it was actually pretty good there was um but it was under the new rules and it was right after kobe too so i think i think there was a different motivation i feel like if it was any other year it probably would have just been the exact same i'm so glad i missed the once in a generation good all-star game don't worry about it dude there's always youtube yeah, it totally makes me feel like I'm living at the moment. <laughs> um, Another cool thing about uh the Jordan in episode five was that it kind of just showed like how competitive he was with everything. Like he was playing quarters with the Alfred Einstein looking guy <laughs> against the oh wall. Oh my God. Yeah. What was it? Like his personal bodyguard or something. There was a specific It was a Bulls staffer. Like yeah. he was a security guard for the Bulls. That is one of the funniest things I think I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> that would just be like if your grandfather was like playing like craps with Michael Jordan and like. And if you looked, and if your grandfather looked like a standard poodle, <laughs> that he invented electricity. <laughs> He's in the Westminster Dog Show. <laughs> and uh, he he pull he beats Jordan Jordan in quarters, gets five bucks from him, and then just pulls a shrug. That was another uh, funny little instance from that episode too is when um some of the bulls players were talking about how um michael jordan and a couple of the guys would be in the way back playing for serious money and then um some other people would be playing in the front of the team playing and just blackjack or something for like dollar entry mm-hmm. and michael jordan be like oh can i can i play a hand and like why do you want to play with us he's like because i want to know that i have your money in my pocket yeah, that's just like, what a good team guy. <laughs> the ultimate teammate. That has got to build up team morale. I don't want to play your little <laughs> shitty game, but God damn it, I want your two bucks. Camaraderie times ten. Scotty Pippen's like, I love this guy. I'm underpaid. <laughs> I'm under- Michael, you took my two bucks. Now my contract will only pay me three. <laughs> and then... Uh, I loved it. Yeah, I thought that was interesting because I was like thinking to myself, I'm like, you would never hear a story being like, man, LeBron was way too intense during this uh, Corona phase with Anthony Davis. He was playing high skate, high stakes Scrabble. (laughs) 
while growing out his beard to look like Kyle O'Quinn. <laughs> or like um, that UFC fighter, that like massive one. I forget what his name is. Oh, I, I forget too, but I know what you're talking about. He's like, I, what? I was just going to say, speaking of LeBron, this whole documentary is just making it so inherently clear that Michael Jordan is probably better than LeBron and probably could score. I think Shaq said the other day that Michael Jordan could score 45 points in a modern NBA. And I don't really, or 45 per game, but I really don't think that that's too far off, you know? Yeah, but I feel like in the way that the game is now, like, I don't think he plays in the same way that James Harden does, who's, like, the closest that we have to scoring, like, 45 a game. Because, mm. like, he didn't just chuck up shots, and obviously Harden is part of that Houston offense where all they do is shoot threes or layups. Mm -hmm. But I feel like Jordan would probably be one of the high – I think he would be the most efficient scorer in the league, if that makes sense. Like, he wouldn't yeah. be the highest scoring, but he would be the most efficient. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Because I would say Harden scores the most, but is he the most efficient with his little weird step back, one-foot, legged kick? Yeah, no, Michael Jordan would definitely be the most efficient, probably one of the smartest shooters in the game. He would definitely have the highest mid-range percentage in the game. <laughs> DeMar DeRozan would weep in the corner. Being like, that used to be me. First I got traded off a championship-winning team. And now Michael Jordan comes back and outshoots me from the mid-range. He's almost 60. <laughs> this sucks. <laughs> and then um, the other cool thing, I, going back to the LeBron thing really quick, <laughs> I just like, I was just thinking, I'm like, man, Michael Jordan just seems like such a cool guy. Like, he was cold, but like he was competitive. And when I think of LeBron, mm -hmm. I think of LeBron just as like this weird goofball who like, like, he obviously has drive, and, like, he totally cares about basketball, yeah. but he doesn't give off that cool vibe. No. No, he he's he just seems like a big man-child, for lack of a better term. The Taco Tuesday thing has really killed uh, my my viewing of LeBron in terms yes, of him being cool. I know. Yeah, I, it'd be interesting to put Michael Jordan not only in today's game, but also today's society. Would he be, would he be as laughable as some of these athletes are in terms of social media presence or the things they do just in general in the in the public eye. I don't know, but I don't really think he would be. I feel like he would just get what you got out of Kobe when he played. Like, it wasn't really that funny unless Kobe mm. wanted to be. But he yeah. wouldn't go do, like, a viral thing. But I guess Kobe's end of his career also came right as the social media era kind of began for athletes. So I feel like it could be kind of hard to tell. But I would assume – he would probably yeah. stay media silent. Like when LeBron does, says he does during the playoffs, I feel like Michael would do the whole time. Yeah, probably. I agree with that. And then in episode six, uh, they kind of talked about um, the uh, the dream team, which was, to me so far, I honestly think was the most fascinating uh, episode because you always heard the folklore of this dream team. Mm -hmm. And you, I had no idea that they, they basically dragged Bird's carcass out of like, the league and Magic Johnson who was retired and they're like hey hey you guys but Magic you're gonna play Bird you can sit <laughs> but take this picture with Michael <laughs> the greatest generation because you you've seen that picture before with Michael Larry and 
uh, magic. Yeah. And you always thought yeah. the three of them played together, like that they were huge like factors of the team. When really it was just Michael and yeah. Magic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was very cool to see that photo come to life, and the fact that there is video footage behind it. And Magic got really close to Mike when he was like, "Well, you can't get too close to Mike, or else it's going to be a foul." <laughs> yeah. And then it's very cool to see these things come to life. Yeah, it's like this footage deserved to have been seen so much earlier because it's just so fascinating. I wonder why Jordan's camp had such a clamp on it, though. Like, they allowed them to, re to record, obviously, but they were like, no, nah, you can't really release any of it. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they had it planned this whole time of, you know, we'll give give the, uh, the idea and the contract and not the legacy, but, you know, the fanfare around Michael Jordan. We'll give it a couple years rest and then we'll come back bigger than ever when people really need it and of course everyone needs this right now with no sports going on so i don't know maybe it was planned <laughs> michael just sees lebron win the championship oh hell no yeah, <laughs> we're, right. we're just dropping it. it just so happens to release during the pandemic and he's like yeah this was intentional i knew that the <laughs> coronavirus was coming not this taco tuesday motherfucker <laughs> i'm tired of watching brawny and him do tiktoks <laughs> Bryce doesn't even look like him. <laughs> Bryce is wearing glasses that make him look like Earl. <laughs> and uh, yeah. the cool thing about the Dream Team was just, like, the camaraderie they seemed to have. Like, I, it kind of sounded like, I don't know if you remember a few Olympics ago when they had the players get stuck on the uh, cruise ship for the Olympics in most recent memory because of there was like some disease where the summer Olympics was being held. It was like the one with Boogie and Durant and LeBron. And it's I'm like trying to blank, but, I, um, but I totally believe you. <laughs> it was just like, you could tell it was like the elite at the time. There was like, no one really skipped out on it except for Isaiah Thomas, which no. oops. <laughs> apparently when <laughs> this might come as a shock, when 90% of the team apparently doesn't like you, you don't make it. <laughs> Bad boys for life. <laughs> Obviously, the Pistons never had the golden rule: treat others the way you want to be treated. They had Jordan rules. The thing, <laughs> the, the thing that was so crazy about that though was that the coach of the Dream Team was the Pistons coach, Chuck Daly. Yeah, Chuck Daly. <laughs> Imagine Chuck just be like, "Ah, oh, this is gonna be awesome." Uh, Isaiah, yeah, I know you're like technically like the top point guard right now, but uh, we really uh, we're we're gonna pass. <laughs> okay, well, we're Michael gonna Jordan took all my money in a game of blackjack and says I can't have you on the team. <laughs> but don't worry, we made a consolation prize. We're gonna take everyone's favorite college player, Christian Leitner, a very other likable guy. <laughs> you're not seeing the point here. Neither am I. I'll get you a Barcelona bumper sticker. <laughs> Don't worry. It's going to be epic. Michael's <laughs> going to cover the uh, the Adidas logo, so it doesn't even matter. You can have the, the jacket. Reebok logo. Whatever. <laughs> Potato, potato. Uh, the other, the, another thing about that was the Kukoc arc, where Kraus was, like, drooling over the mouth about Tony Kukoc and basically was, like, already leading him as the mm -hmm. su successor to Michael mm -hmm. and Pippin. And they were bo both Pippin and Michael were like, uh, nope. They left him out to dry in that game. Yeah, they were like, the first we're going to. Yeah, they were going to be like, we're going to prove to uh, Kraus that, and the world that this coach guy is, like, not on the same tier as us. Which, you know, also becomes infinitely easier when they play. What, what did he play for? Croatia? Yeah. He yeah. played. 
he played for when you beat down on the all amazing Croatian national team. Which, by the way, was apparently like the second or third. I mean, they officially were the second best team in that Olympics, but coming into it, they were one of the best teams in the world, and then they ended up beating them by like 30 points. It's so shocking because, you know, the Croatian league is always talked about in the highest regards. I'm always putting money down on Croatian basketball. <laughs> it's actually a problem. Michael has <laughs> taken five bucks from me. I need to go to rehab. <laughs> and uh, Kukoc eventually does become a key factor in those Bulls teams, even though Michael and uh, Pippen kind of beat Kukoc to a pulp. Yeah, and then it was after that first game in the 92 Olympics when they played them where Scotty Pippen was like, yeah, I mean, you know, I just don't really know if someone like that can really – he's you know supposed to be so talented over in Europe. I don't really know if that can translate over to – to the modern NBA game. Salty, uh, Scotty, <laughs> Salty. Scotty salty. seems like the saltiest player on the planet in this documentary, I have to say. Yeah, they're really, that. yeah, that, that's how they're portraying him. Which everyone's like, man, Scotty was this great teammate, but every clip you've seen of Scotty is him being like, well, I didn't like Tony Kukoc, <laughs> and I, uh, I didn't like Michael being the alpha, but I'm a great guy. <laughs> Please love me. <laughs> Dennis Rodman had the coolest Vegas party ever. <laughs> you know, they're not really painting him in. Um, not, not, not too much of a great light, but... They're painting know. him in a great light as a player. They're not painting him in a great light as a person. As a person, yeah. <laughs> I know, it must be really... Yeah, I. you know, it does make sense, though, because believe it or not, when you're underpaid criminally, uh, you aren't going to be a happy guy for the duration of your seven-year contract i know something i would thought was interesting too is when they did to be honest it's all blending together so much so i don't remember which episode that they touched upon it on but it was last night's either seven or eight um not to jump too far ahead but i thought it was interesting that you know in the very beginning of the documentary they're painting out scotty pippen to be like okay you know he can he can lead when michael jordan's not around or you know maybe if he went to a different team and got the money he deserved he could be a leader but then when Michael Jordan did eventually retire, there was that one little clip of him during like a commercial break and he puts up the Jordans and on the sole of it is um, the jump man. And he's just waving at him to come over. I thought that was yeah. so cool. I know. Uh, yeah. Pippin, you know, I, I don't really know what else to say besides that. Uh, I'd feel kind of upset on how I'm being portrayed versus what the public opinion is of me in general. Yeah, and obviously it's a Michael Jordan-centric documentary, but they're doing a good job of, um, or I guess they're doing a due diligence in showing why Michael Jordan acted a certain way, but they really haven't touched upon that with Scottie Pippen. Yeah, that's true. You know, it's just, it's like, from what I basically got, which I kind of expected, it's like a Michael Jordan documentary with the Bulls kind of being the subplot. They're like, oh, this is what Michael did, and this is how the Bulls reacted. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then... Uh, the the um the way that they kind of closed episode five was where they it was like the like last twenty minutes where they built up his like how the media turned against him for gambling yeah because he during the finals decided to go with his dad or Eastern Conference Finals I think where they yeah. were playing the Knicks like after game two or something he wanted to go just relax with his dad and so they just went to Atlantic City yeah yeah what a crime. Apparently the Celtics did like the same thing though in two thousand and eight. Yeah, I mean, what's what's the difference? 
It's just because it's Michael Jordan. I mean, for what it sounds like, every player back then would, like, hang out with the other team or they would, like, just go out and drink after games. Like, no one was thinking what we think today of, like, body regulation and, like, nutrition. Mm -hmm. So it's like... I don't know why it was such a – it was just because it was Michael, and they had, like they said, like the be like Mike catchphrase just really like is like kind of a burden at the same mm-hmm. time. It built him up, and yet it also was the reason he got put down. Well, it makes sense, too, that, you know, I don't, I don't want to say it makes sense that the media was doing that, but it makes sense that maybe wider culture as much as Michael Jordan was and still is beloved is, you know, no one likes to see a team or an individual have so much – sustained success for so long you know i mean who america does not like the patriots america didn't like the cowboys america for the most part does not like the yankees or the red Sox, or you know every a lot of people hate lebron america is the story of the underdog so it's like every we root for the person or the team with the least amount of chance to win right because no one likes seeing the favorite i guess Right. Do you want to see Alabama football win or lose? Exactly. Yeah. But Michael was weird in the way that apparent, like he was never viewed as hated. Like he, like even like I've heard that, like other fans of other teams that watched the Bulls were still like they rooted for Michael. Like a, a yeah. team wasn't in it. Like they wanted him to win. You didn't like you don't see that with like LeBron or Brady or like Nick Saban, yes. like you said, or Duke. Yeah. They're always referred to as evil empires, and you just refer to the Bulls, it seems, as if they're in this different breath of being, like, just America's team. The world's team. Exactly. I I think, yeah, really the world's team, especially in one of the first couple episodes where they go over to France, and that's just, like, um, to take, I think it was Dan Patrick who used to be one of the hosts of um, a show at ESPN, you know, when it's Michael Jordan, all the world's a stage. The great Shakespearean line, and I think this documentary proves that to be very true. Yeah, I, I would that, like it's just a fanfare for Jordan, is what this documentary mm-hmm. is. It kind of just like shows the world in our generation. I feel like specifically, like how beloved he was. Yeah, like who would you say today is the closest thing we have to Jordan in terms of like universal fan like appraisal? It would have been not would have. It still is Kobe. I would say Kobe now, or I would, in a weird way, I don't know. I think Steph Curry is kind of like the closest thing. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think next man up would be someone like Steph Curry, but I don't know because there's also, you know, the whole idea of um, the Warriors blowing the 3-1 lead to the Cavs, and, you know, mm-hmm. no one no one was really big into the fact that the Warriors in this entirely different style and generation of basketball, no one was – you know, over the moon about the fact that they were one game better than arguably the greatest basketball team of all time, the 96 Bulls. No one was extremely happy that they went 73-9, you know? So I I think it is Steph Curry in some sense, but also, I don't know. But I think the closest would be Kobe. Yeah, is Kobe? I would probably have to agree with you on Kobe because the more I think about it, the Kevin Durant thing really threw the wrench in, exactly. in Steph Curry. If, yeah, exactly. If that Warriors team was the way it was before – like they added Kevin Durant, I would probably say Curry was on like the path of being as well liked. Yeah, because I think maybe something that um, a basketball fan of the '90s or 
you know, a generation ago, what they could have been most upset about if they really did hate a team like the Bulls and their sustained success is maybe they could have been, you know, ripping mad that Michael Jordan came out of retirement to tumble basketball again. But it's not like they still had Michael Jordan and then added arguably the best player in the league to make them even better. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess, like, I, I just thought about it for a second. I think the closest comparison outside of basketball would probably be Peyton Manning. Who, who disliked Peyton Manning? That's very true. Yeah, and he is a, in an odd way, Peyton Manning is kind of a, a sports cultural icon. Mm-hmm. He didn't have a brand. You didn't wear your Peytons. Right, and it sounds like no one really ever had a problem with him or that he ever did anything to upset anyone. I mean, people will always find, if we're talking about Peyton Manning, then of course you have to talk about Tom Brady, people will always find a little something that has to do with Tom Brady. Um People who hate him the most, it seems like, will always bring up um, his first child with Bridget Moynihan. You know that always um, drives a little, a little hatred. Oh, but yeah, Peyton Manning. No one ever has anything bad to say. And that Tom Brady is basically associated with a franchise that is known for cheating. <laughs> okay. Yes, there's that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you, had, you had you had to bring it up. <laughs> I didn't want to, but. <laughs> Uh, so then they kind of close out that the wear and tear of the first three-peat for Michael with it culminating between the gambling and just like he felt like apparently after during the Olympics, he felt like that 1993 season was going to be his last. Yeah, that's so. It, to me, that's just unfathomable. And you hear about but it also makes sense because of the wear and tear that some of these athletes, I mean, obviously someone like Rob Gronkowski's back, but Rob Gronkowski was an early retiree. Um, Andrew Luck. Stick with, stick with football. Andrew Luck, Calvin Johnson, Luke Keekley, you know, all these really, really talented people just saying, you know what, this is taking so much of a toll on me, and it's not like I have much more to prove, so I'm going to go up. But Michael Jordan was different. Yeah, he was Seems like, like the best. Before, so he was different. Yeah. Like these players that were, like you just mentioned, were like one of the best at their position. Mm-hmm. It would just be like to me that. I, this is like the most cliche comparison ever, but it'd be like if LeBron just left after like losing to Dallas in the first, like in the in that finals with the Miami Heat or something. Yeah. Like, he was just like at the peak of his powers, and then he just decided I'm gonna go. Except we can't compare it because Michael Jordan won two finals leading up to it, and LeBron yeah. didn't even win one yet. Yeah, it's. I think a good word for it would be Michael Jordan was just so transcendent that it was it was really powerful to see, you know, the imagery and the short little videos of people standing on the cre- uh, streets of Chicago crying. I don't really know. Yeah, I don't, I'm so dramatic theater major. <laughs> nice try. Um, yeah, I don't really know if there's anyone quite like that his retirement would have that sort of impact on wider culture lebron i think yes to an extent um um kobe probably if he had left in the same sort of fashion probably the same sort of thing but i guess no one like michael i feel like it was because like they felt when michael died the nba kind of died in a way yeah retired (laughs) when michael retired the nba died shit Corey. God, I am sorry. <laughs> no, the reason I say that is because I feel like the reaction 
was kind of similar to I feel like when Kobe died because it just like took the air out of the room knowing that Michael left the sport. Mm-hmm. And I bet there was this feeling of, you know, how do we start all over? How do we find, how do we find the next big person? Because even though they did have all those, that amazing talent back then, especially on that 92 dream team in comparison to Michael, it was all, you know, supporting actors. Yeah. And then like, the way they said that, like, the the sports world kind of froze when Michael left. Like, not even the basketball mm-hmm. world. Like, the sports world froze. I feel like that mm-hmm. really has only been comparable in sports to, like, when an athlete dies suddenly. Yeah, and then think about how quickly the turnaround was when, you know, he's, I guess, mulling the decision for a little bit. And then um, Jerry Reinsdorf, who also owned the Chicago White Sox. Maybe he still does, I don't know. But they were talking about how he was the owner of the White Sox. And he's at the ballpark at the same time Michael Jordan is, you know, up in the suite or some box or something. And then word gets to Reinsdorf that he wants to retire. And then Michael Jordan ends up leaving by the seventh inning because everyone, the media is trying to come into the box and barge in and try to ask him all these questions. Like, is it true? Is it going to happen? And then the next day is the um, announcement, the conference. And there's people from all over the world and, um, the documentary said, you know, everyone from local to you know, the cable and network news is there. And there were so many cameras and so many different reporters. It must have just been madness. And then Michael decided to pursue his lifelong passion of being a baseball player. This was so great to watch. Terry Francona, star of the show. Ugh, oh, that... I have to preface it, though, by saying the reason he chose to was because his father was uh, murdered. It's a big part. And I. I genuinely didn't know the story behind um, his father's passing. I didn't realize that, you know, he went missing for several weeks. And, you know, they they one of the only times they've brought in um, one of Michael Jordan's brothers is to talk about the father, their father, and say, you know, was it odd that he was out of contact with you for, you know, even like a day or, you know, however long, maybe just like a couple of days? And he was like, yeah, it was you know, something that had never really happened before. I had no idea of the significance and what the circumstantially what it was. Yeah, I really didn't either. And it was like, basically they described it as being like, it could have been anyone. Yeah. Like it wasn't like he was targeted because he was Michael Jordan's father. It was like, it just literally was two 18 year olds being like jackasses. Yeah. Trying to rob him. And what was it? He was, embarking on a long trip and then i think around nighttime pulled off the road to just fall asleep for a little bit and then the other two 18 year olds tried to rob him and then shot him in, shoot the, him in the, the chest, chest and then threw him into the river is that where they yeah the, yeah some yeah some along those lines and i yeah i genuinely didn't know any of that yeah i would probably not want to play a sport for a little bit because of that too but it's like yeah. they said that like michael jordan had so much weight to bear like on the family, mm-hmm. like he like was kind of like the pillar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then what was it? they said that the last Michael Jordan said that the last conversation he ever had with his dad over the phone was, um, he had been mulling retirement up to that point and considering playing baseball, and his dad had wanted him to play baseball when he was younger, and of course his dad was all gung ho and saying you should do it, you should do it, and then obviously that just set him right over, and that's why he left. I, I, what I was thinking when I they were talking about that was they made like his dad. He said his dad was like his best friend, 
But mm-hmm. in the early part of the documentary, like the first two episodes, you did not get that vibe yeah. whatsoever that they were close not friends. At all. So it was so confusing the way they portrayed that to me. Yeah, and I I don't know if they did that on purpose or something. If it was something that you had to kind of pick out as he started winning championships, maybe it was supposed to be maybe a crescendo of emotional imagery or something. But, you know, I hadn't really noticed that his dad was there with him the whole time in some of those really iconic photos after the championships. And because you're right in those first couple episodes, he was saying, you know, I felt like I was fighting for my father's attention. I felt like he was always giving it to my older brother, who was at the time more gifted athletically. You know, so I agree with you. I thought it was kind of hard to pick out. And, but I, I did like the way they portrayed it and kind of summed it all up last night. Yeah, I thought it was a pretty good way to like kind of summarize the feel. Like we kind of evolved with Michael and his relationship with his dad. Mm hmm. So then he tries to, to play baseball, which is probably one of the more uh, historic switches of all time. Yeah, I mean, people thought it was big when Tim Tebow suddenly hung up the cleats and then God got bless. the spikes out. You know, I mean, it, yeah, people thought that was big. I thought that was big, at least. And obviously, I have no idea how big the Michael Jordan thing was, but looks looked like a spectacle. They kind of like. So I've watched the 30 for 30 where they talked about like it's called like Jordan rides the bus mm-hmm. and it's about like his road in double A. They did not make it seem like he was that good of a baseball player. But when you watch this documentary, yeah. they were like, if you get like, Terry, found a way to the major leagues. Yeah, they're like with 1500 at bats, at least with his work ethic, you he could have made the yeah, the major leagues. And I was like, what? I've heard he yeah. is like was not good at all. Yeah, like he Jerry was becoming better. Yeah, and Jerry Reinsdorf said he was like, I was so surprised that he hit two oh two, which I guess, you know, that is that is two sided, yes, very surprised in the sense that he hadn't played baseball since he was seventeen years old, but also then saying that he probably could have made it to the major league level. Well he was batting two oh two. That's that's hot garbage. But then again, it's Michael Jordan, so he probably could have done whatever he wanted. Yeah, and then they – what did they say? They said that, like, the only reason they brought him to Double A was because he ne- they needed the media room, not because he was that good. And they, like, show his tryout yeah. footage, and he's, like, bobbling ground balls. And I'm like, this is such a publicity stunt over everything was, else. Yeah, it was – it looked like, um, you know, when I played baseball in high school, it looked like, you know, winter training or something. You're in a gymnasium taking these grounders that are just – popping out and taking the dumbest hops and he's trying to stick with it. It looked like high school and then culminates in him signing this contract, which of course it's imagine if they had rejected Michael Jordan, there's no way they would have. Yeah, exactly. This was like, and then the funniest part to me, the part that almost made me like laugh out loud was when they were like, yeah, you know, after assessing Michael in this tryout, we realized he is definitely good enough for the minor leagues. And then they proceed to follow him bobbling the ground balls. And I'm just like, are you kidding me based on what? Can you imagine that though? I mean, minor league baseball. I mean, like all um, all professional developmental leagues, like the G League. I can imagine and the leagues like that, the AHL and hockey. But minor league baseball, especially because I don't know if you've been to a game or not, but they have just like these these gags and these jokes and these you know um, weird advertising games that they do in the middle of the innings and. 
uh, minor leagues is a joke is what i'm trying to say mm-hmm. and then to bring michael jordan in michael jordan and the only thing that could probably be comparable to it in the years since media attention wise in terms of the minor leagues is bryce harper coming up i went to a game um the portland sea dogs of the double a affiliate of the boston red sox and i went to a couple portland sea dogs games um you know during young adolescence in the summer and one of them was against the harrisburg senators the washington nationals double a affiliate and um that meant seeing bryce harper and the way that people flocked to him was unimaginable and we actually ended up taking i didn't get his autograph unfortunately and it's not like it you know haunts me to this day or anything <laughs> but we ended up taking a secret route with people who go to those games all the time and they were nice enough to bring us to this route that brought them out to the bus um the visiting team's bus and there were so there were hundreds of people there waiting to get any sort of autograph from him and i can just imagine that michael jordan was probably you know that to the nth degree can you imagine like some little kid brings over like a michael jordan rookie uh basketball card and michael's like get that out of here okay. he like chucks it out the window get that shit out of here he just like flicks the kid's card across the room <laughs> now if you want to play me in a game of quarters now i'm interested your airness is listening <laughs> i am ready i um yeah, I, don't, I don't really know if there's been anything like that i guess maybe bryce harper that was a really long-winded story it sounded like i really needed to get that off my chest because i'm so upset about bryce harper <laughs> and then uh imagine just being like a kid like those minor leaguers are like what around our age like 20 21 22 yeah i think um at, maybe a little bit older um for probably the more traditional player maybe like 23 but like the highly touted prospects are probably our age 19 2021 and just being like oh yeah who, like you're talking to like your parents like how is uh how is uh training camp going oh good you know michael he, he kind of sucks but it's cool to have him <laughs> michael who michael, oh michael jordan michael jordan he's 31 i don't know if you've heard of him he but, keeps yeah, taking he's my 31 quarters. in double a and he uh he can't he can't do a crow up he bubbles <laughs> grounders i don't know uh, he's starting over me for some god knows why reason he keeps taking all my <laughs> godforsaken quarters it's <laughs> taking my food stamps. <laughs> he, 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 we're betting on who gets to take the queen bed at the uh, hotel. <laughs> we played blackjack for my Big Mac last night. He won, of course. <laughs> that guy is has a problem, Mom. I'm telling you. <laughs> I don't see a Gambler's Anonymous token. <laughs> His airness is an ass. <laughs> Not to mention he sucks. <laughs> but Terry Francona <laughs> thinks he's good. I could. I did not know that Terry Francona was his manager. Oh That's so God. cool, though. That's like stars just colliding. Yeah, without even realizing what Terry Francona know. would become. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That was pretty cool. I was just thinking it'd be so weird to be like, you're an up and comer in today's game, and uh, you just like look over to your left, and you're like, wait a minute, why is Adrian Peterson on my softball team? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, I've always had a passion for underground pitches, underhand pitches. <laughs> yeah, I I can't even imagine what that was like. And I, I wish the perspective that they had kind of shed a light on last night was whether or not the people in the minor leagues, maybe some of his old teammates or Terry Franco or even Jerry Reinsdorf had some sort of an inkling on whether or not he was going to come back. They didn't really get much opinion on that. They just showed Michael Jordan like watching a Bulls game 
in the locker room and kind of you could sense like oh he misses it but you know is he oh, gonna wow. do it you know, is he mulling it you know blah 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 and i wish that they had talked to some of his old teammates or some coaches or something just to try to see like how long did they feel that he was going to stick around for it was he going to try to make it to the major leagues or was this just like a little thing to try to prove himself like no i did this so now i'll go back you know yeah that kind of felt like a slap in the face to baseball i feel like in a way because it was like, yeah, you know, I've always wanted to play baseball. I'm going to dip my toes in. Okay, that was fun. That was a good, what, year and a half? I'll see you. Yeah, it makes me, obviously, the way that we're seeing him right now is that he constantly wanted a challenge and would never back away from a challenge. But it's not that he didn't do well because he didn't play baseball for 14 years, then wanted to double A professional baseball and still did relatively well. But then again, he didn't entirely conquer it, so I don't really know. Maybe it was just like a matter of the heart. Like, no, I wanted to do this, and I did this, but I wouldn't really say that, you know, he totally mastered everything going on. He would do a lot better than I would be doing jumping into double-A baseball after no professional athletic success at all, but you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. I, I get what you're yeah. saying. I heard a reason that why he left baseball to go back to basketball was he felt that the talent pool in the league in the latter half of the 90s was much less than when it was at the higher than the lower, like in the early 90s. Mm-hmm. So he felt like it was easier to conquer the NBA mm-hmm. again. So he was like, yeah, I'll do that. That's 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 definitely achievable. Oh, that's yeah, that's interesting. And uh, that definitely would make sense because the the teams of the early 90s were Definitely not the same as the teams of the latter half. There was a, a talent drought. Because like I said, like the league seemed definitely like more towards the older players around when Michael entered. And you didn't really see many new names that would enter the league. Like you look at the teams that he played in those latter half of the playoffs. You got the, the Seattle Sonics, who basically had Gary Payton and Sean Kemp. Yep. The best team he played was like the Jazz with Stockton and Malone, but I feel like if you put that Stockton and Malone team back in like 1993, mm-hmm. it would have not been as dominant of a time. I mean, Reggie Miller was one of the top players of like the league at that time, and I don't think of Reggie Miller as like one of the greatest players of all time. No, I don't. And um... and those Knicks teams too, they had an old Patrick Ewing as their like leader. Yeah, it wasn't like the it wasn't like playing Isaiah Thomas and the Pistons and it wasn't like playing the earlier Knicks teams or, you know, the Celtics at the end of their run. You know I mean? I think the three teams that really kind of stepped up, at least the way they're portraying it in the documentary was the magic with Horace Grant and a young Shaquille O'Neal and then the Supersonics and uh, the Knicks, but an older Knicks team. So yeah, he definitely that makes sense what you're saying in terms of him wanting to come back because it would have been easier for him to conquer. And then, uh, so I guess well, he comes back into the league mm-hmm. and uh, with the Bulls during that time, they had a really good first year. They, but that, like we said, Pippen had issues mm-hmm. with, uh, the, cause I guess Phil Jackson on one of the last play for the last play of one of the games in the first against round. The yeah. against the Knicks was like, uh, yeah, you know, we need someone to close this one out. And Kukoc throughout the year has been very clutch in these plays I've drawn up for him. So I'm just going to draw another one up for him. And Pippen was basically like, well, where the hell is my shot? Even though it's been very well documented in this documentary that Pippen was not known for his shooting. Exactly. Someone, I don't remember who it was, but someone immediately after they were talking about that, they were like, well, Scotty was the facilitator. 
He was never the shot taker. <laughs> yeah. And then you're just like, Pippin was <laughs> just like, no, if I could take it back, I, I wouldn't. Can you imagine that? Oh, my God. He threw like a That's temper crazy. tantrum. He's like, I'm not going in. You're not going to draw the play for me? I'm not going to pass the damn ball to Ku Coach. <laughs> I know. It was, I really wonder, I don't know which teammate it was, but I really wonder what that one teammate who was sitting next to him was saying something. You're such like a bitch. yelling something into his ear. That's it, yeah, probably, as he was staring ahead. I, but I thought that was very interesting footage because the way they're talking about it makes it seem like, of course, he had, you know, this really dramatic little moment. But it sounded like he just took himself out of the equation and just said, you know what? Um, no, I don't want a part of this at all. And the way he was going about it, maybe he kind of felt like, well, this is better. Apparently, this is better than me, and I don't want to get in the way of that, but everyone else is kind of looking at it like, we well, are supposed to be our leader now that Michael's gone, and you just totally abandoned all efforts at this point. Yeah, and like, it's from what they described those Bulls teams have without Michael, it was definitely team-oriented, and like, Scotty mm-hmm. was like, I feel like it was like a Spurs-esque mentality on those Bulls teams, where they, like, because yeah. you saw that one clip where they, they passed it completely around the perimeter, did a few cuts, yeah. And just kept on slashing and dishing out, which ended up just going into like a dunk. And it was like a 16 second sequence. And Pippen at least touched the ball like four times. Yeah, it's kind of, it kind of gave me the idea of like, well, you're only as good as, you know, um, how much better you can make the guys around you, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was just very surprised. And then I was more surprised how Pippen was just like, he basically was like, yeah, you know, if I could like take it back, I wouldn't. But it was obviously a bad look for me, and it haunted me for my career. Why would you take it back? Yeah, they're making Scotty Pippen look ab- – I mean, he said that obviously very willingly, but he's coming off as such an oddball. <laughs> yeah, you know, it was like one of my greatest mistakes ever, but at the same time, I would never take it back. It was awesome. <laughs> let's, let's run that back. I loved making my teammate cry in the locker room. <laughs> <laughs> like, go Cartwright started sobbing. Why would you do this to me, man? <laughs> I guess I'd do it again, though. <laughs> Phil Cartwright cried on my my favorite shoes, <laughs> which made me feel like my decision was all the more right. I, and another perspective I wish they got to was Scotty Pippen during the time that Michael was gone. You know, what was it being the one to kind of step up in that role, even though his role as the quote unquote facilitator was, you know, to make everyone around him better and to play, you know, to run the game with more ease. What was it like to not have someone like Michael Jordan? Of course, they got the perspective of, well, you know, we knew we couldn't be as good, but also what did it mean to lead a team? And that would have fallen with Scotty Pippen. So I wish they talked about that a little bit. Yeah, me too. And then they basically took the transition of Michael being in the the Space Jam training to uh, come back after he was very disappointed in his initial return where they lost to the Magic wearing the 45. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. He started as forty five and then went back to twenty three, and it just wasn't wasn't the same. And he realized, oh wait, and didn't realize it then, but he knew obviously this baseball body that I have is not going to be sustainable in the NBA game. Why do you feel like that is? I was like wondering, what do you think the difference is between like training for baseball versus training for basketball? Yeah, well, um, Michael Jordan was saying in the one of the episodes last night that in basketball you need shoulders you need chest you need you know every you need the top half and then in baseball if no matter what kind of hitter you're going to be you need your lower half you need the 
the lower extremities. You need your hips more than anything too. You know, you need to know how to drive a ball with your lower half because obviously it's not just, it's not human nature to be able to hit a baseball solely with your arms 400 plus feet, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, it really, it, it's so different, obviously. And then um, obviously the running aspect too is totally different between baseball and basketball because in baseball it's short bursts and in basketball it's all about how can I keep this going for 48 minutes so the lower half and the top half is really what made it so different even though you need both for strength the way you go about that strength is gonna look extremely different yeah then uh basically it only took him one one extra season of space jam I couldn't believe that I thought that was the coolest thing ever yeah, because we were talking about before we started this episode, but um, that footage of the 92 Dream Team in the, the closed practice, besides maybe a couple cameras, maybe a couple reporters, that looked like some of the best basketball that was ever played. I'm surprised they didn't like, put like that footage on like the bonus disc for Space Jam. <laughs> right, and then but then Reggie Miller was the one in one of the episodes last night talking about going over to Warner Brothers and how it became a thing for some of the best players in the end. It was like Jawan Howard, Dennis Rodman, Reggie Miller, Patrick Ewing, uh, Rodman, a bunch of those guys went and they're like, well, you know, if you're anybody, then you're going to go to the Warner Brothers studios to go practice with Michael Jordan after he's already been filming for what, like 10 to 12 hours a day. And then and <laughs> yeah. And then he would play three hours of pickup. That would That's seem so it. fun. Yeah. And then Reggie Miller was like, those were the best basketball games I've ever played in. I um I was watching that, and I was thinking that like that could be a good format for what they do for the um quarantine playoffs that they're talking about. Yeah, that'd be yeah, and they're talking about a big brand like, you know, can we can we go to Disney and can we do it like that? You know, why couldn't they just build like those courts? Didn't look like they took that long to build. No, if they specifically if they specifically did it for Space Jam freaking movie about like bugs bunny and the toon squad <laughs> then they can do it to get to get the nba going again i don't really understand obviously it's a totally different situation but you can't tell me that they don't have the money in their back pocket to facilitate something similar i mean that would have just that'd be pretty cool like it'd be, it'd be amazing it'd be like the playoff i feel like if they did that once they would like everyone would love it and they would want to keep doing it like having that like type of environment where they go to somewhere different so there's really like no home court advantage but obviously like the teams would everyone plays in guantanamo <laughs> bermuda <laughs> lebron durant bermuda be there <laughs> sorry i didn't mean to cut you off no, that it's... was just such a pressing thought it was it's just so funny because like obviously no one would go for it because the arenas would lose so much money (laughs) but they'd be like yeah go ahead take all of those millions of dollars to guantanamo (laughs) i hear the beaches are lovely (laughs) and the fellowship is even better i hope that when you go to disney for the next tournament you tell me what the leaks are for frozen (laughs) three that's disney right so yeah yeah it is yeah okay cool good um yeah i don't i it would be very interesting to see if they could do something similar and then um they kind of they uh culminated with it being like they 
they played uh, B.J. Armstrong in the Hornets. And yeah. B.J. Armstrong, a former bull, was basically in game one just like, I'm the alpha here. <laughs> All like six foot one of them. Was that supposed to be the 98 playoffs? Yes. Yeah, because yeah, they had talked about um, the 96 run a little bit in that team and how you know they fared with everything. I thought it was the 97 team. 96 team, I mean. Dude, it's all blurring together. I don't even remember. I think it was the 96 because mm-hmm. it showed him winning the championship at the end. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I think it was um, basically they should. And then he was like, Michael had to create these narratives for in his head mm-hmm. for why he wanted to beat people. <laughs> and Oh, my God. Yeah. And the guy from the Washington Bullets, how he'd never even said, like, hey, Mike, good game. And, but he just made it up in his head so that he could go out and score 40. I think 47 points against him or something. That's not the traits of a psychopath. I totally do that at the UNH rec all the time. <laughs> when McClung... <laughs> when McClung dunks on me on a fast break... <laughs> I just overdrive. <laughs> I, I just... You should see the air I take. <laughs> Flip my shit. I fly. <laughs> In my Skechers shape-ups. In my A6 deal that I made... I'm wearing my MKGs. <laughs> it always comes back to MKG. Dude, we're giving Michael Kidd Gilchrist more airtime than he's had in the past seven years. Thank God. Well deserved. Good for you, Michael. <laughs> Encore. All the world's a stage. Look at Michael Kidd Gilchrist. Obviously, Michael Jordan knew what he had because he drafted Michael Kidd Gilchrist. What a lucky man. Dude, the Mike, it's the name Michael. It just exudes greatness. <laughs> Um, so below this podcast, there will be a link to the MKGs. <laughs> All proceeds go to Corona and Michael Kidd Gilchrist. Find them in any failing shoe, shoe store in America. Go to Famous Footwear Back Rack. <laughs> You'll see it. What were we talking about? <laughs> we were talking about BJ, uh, the oh, Washington yeah, yeah. Bullets. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. And, um... Then Michael was like, I'm going to drop 47 on you. I'm going to score what you score in the first half. Yeah. Yeah, and then he scored 47. And then that was just one example. And then B.J. Armstrong, I think, just like absolutely whooped in game two of one of those series in the 96 run. And then it was just over after that. Then they kind of finalized it with them talking about the Sonics were the new meme of Michael Jordan, which I got to say, if Michael was hoping not to get any more memes about him, he's really failing. Yeah, and that was like obviously a very it's it's very badass to see someone like Michael Jordan just start laughing hysterically when someone talks about how he played him really well defensively or, you know, how he got into his head. But it's also maybe this is just me, but also kind of creepy to see how someone can be that dominant. And have, excuse me, have it in their brain is oh no, oh no no no! You will never have the upper hand on me. The only reason that you thought you had the upper hand on me is because I wanted you to. Reasons. Yeah, exactly. That was like so weird. It was like in the twist of like, like an M Night Shyamalan movie, <laughs> like Gary yeah. Payne's just like, oh yeah, I was real close. You know, if I played this the way I played him in the last two games of the series versus the first two, it could have been, I'm not saying it would have been completely different, but it definitely would have been different. And Michael was just like, Oh, nope. Not at all. Yeah. It almost made you wonder if was Michael Jordan, maybe saving some sort of a better clinching performance closer to father's day 
um, in that first final since his father passed away in 93? Or was it, was it, you know, subconsciously that sort of thing, not present on his mind, but something that he felt deep down or was it actually Gary Payton? It's, you know, it's Michael Jordan. So he had, he had so much control over the situation way more than he, than anyone thinks that they will ever have, you know? Yeah. I, um, I just thought it was just so crazy that Michael, that was like, like you said, it was like psychopathic the yeah. way that he just like laughed at it. And like, I just got, I, I like smiled from it. Cause I'm like, Oh my God, this guy's just nuts. Yeah. <laughs> but like, it was not a negative way of nuts. It's just like, he's that highly competitive that he puts himself on the same stratosphere that everyone else puts him on. Like you see some yeah. athletes are like humble about how good they are. And like, Michael's just like, Nope. Yeah. I'm the best. Like not even close. Yeah. And I think what makes it <laughs> psychopathic or odd or creepy for, you know, common men, like, like you you and i it's just the fact that to think that someone can have this immense crazy amount of talent to have that much control over absolutely everything just flip a switch whenever you want and know that you're going to get the result that you want i think that's what probably made it just so interesting to observe for someone like you and i and probably everyone else watching it too is how can someone be that talented to know that they're going to be better than someone in, you know, an infinite amount of ways whenever they want. Yeah, exactly. I, um, uh, I don't know. And then it, it shows him winning the finals at the end and he's yeah. like sobbing. Cause you know, Michael is not prone to crying. <laughs> he hasn't cried like six times in this series. Michael's meme culture. Oh, the last thing I do want to talk about before, um, we go is the the way the seventh episode ended i know this is out of order but it talked about michael as a teammate and yeah, spe- speaking of him crying yeah and uh the way he ended that episode was like kind of cinematic in a way props to michael for acting i thought so too and my big takeaway from um i i, I will say my big takeaway from episodes five through eight is the development of you know michael into superstardom and becoming this cultural you know this megatronic-esque sort of icon for the world and then how he's holed up in his room and how he just kind of you could tell he's kind of craving for just some sort of moment to himself or moment with you know maybe it's just his teammates or his loved ones without having to go out and like face the media and face fans everywhere he goes and then for me, episodes five through eight and episode seven really touched upon that is he's human as crazy as his talent is. And how I was just saying how he can flip a switch at any instant. He's human more than anything else. Yeah. I thought what was really powerful about the way episode seven ended when he talked about his teammates is that he like said, he basically had to sacrifice being liked for his passion of winning and even though he felt like he pushed his teammates he hopes that they like understood why it happened it wasn't that like he like was trying to be like this unlikable guy <clears throat> but he wanted to he obviously had this drive that he wanted to win yeah he wanted to bring up the best result in everyone it's like i thought about this and it's like lebron when <laughs> you know because the lebron mj comparisons are never happening never and, gonna end uh it um 
when you think about LeBron as a teammate, he kind of just like just picks and chooses, like we said last episode where we were together, that he kind of picks and chooses who he wants to play with. But mm-hmm. Michael seemed to have adopted everybody that was already with him. He didn't really seem yeah. to kick anyone out and would take him under mm-hmm. their wing. And we don't see that with LeBron, I feel like. Yeah. And yeah. that truly, I feel like, is very interesting and makes you have way more respect for the way Michael was as a leader. Because, you know, Le- they say LeBron's like this soft, like, good le- good buddy-buddy leader, but also, like, when it push comes to shove, he'll put you in the right direction. But mm-hmm. let's not also forget he's the guy who subtweets you on Twitter. Exactly. And it seems like LeBron, like you were just saying and hinting at, is LeBron knows when to flip his own switch for the better in terms of, you know, team morale and camaraderie and, you know, different, different things like that. It seemed like Michael Jordan was saying he had to sacrifice a lot. Um, most of all his likability in order to get the desired result. And it seemed like more importantly, not just the result that he wanted for himself, but steering others in the direction to see what they could achieve. And yeah. I think I think a good example of that was when he came back after retirement. There were a couple of people on the team. Steve Kerr is um, um, the most notable one out of that group who hadn't played with Michael in the first three-peat. Um, and then there was the instance of Michael Jordan and Steve Kerr getting into a fight. Michael Jordan punches him in practice, and then Phil Jackson throws him out. But then MJ was saying last night in the documentary, you know, okay, so that wasn't, wasn't my best moment, and I got Steve Kerr's number, and I, I called him, and I apologized, and then we worked it out because, you know, we kind of realized that uh, I gained respect for him, but also he was starting to understand, you know, why I act the way I do. And even though it is this big sacrifice, it's ultimately for the best. Yeah. And then one of my favorite things with uh, the teammate interactions was the Scott Burrell, UConn legend, for those who don't know. Uh, the re- <laughs> Like he took him under his wing. And he was just like he was just shit talking him like throughout all the practices, calling him like a hoe, a bitch, <laughs> and he like shoot the layup, dumbass. <laughs> Scott Burrell, <laughs> Scotty. Um, I-, I loved those. I thought I think those are like the most genuine instances you'll ever see of like an athlete because like we all have been in practices where like you're like talking to your like friend on the team and you're just like. Man, why like for like baseball? You're like, how did you not crush that ball? Or like in lacrosse, where you're just like, why didn't you just fucking shoot it? Yeah, <laughs> and, and it's just like it, it like it, sh- it shows more camaraderie than I think it was like. It kind of tried to paint the interactions in a negative light and make it seem like it was like tense. But I I pulled out that it was like those like buddy buddy interactions, like little like big brother little brother kind of. I also think too that with MJ knowing how talented he was and the things he could do. I think it kind of goes to show that um, I'm I'm not suggesting that their team chemistry wasn't, you know, especially in the 96 team wasn't as good as any other basketball team or, you know, group of five basketball players ever playing together at once, you know, in world history was, but um, I think it just goes to show that he wasn't trying to lead and poke poke at people and push people's buttons individually in a different way. He was leading by one way the entire time because he knew that his talent would ultimately take it over the end. It was just a matter of whether or not other guys were going to step up and try just as hard. Oh yeah. I a hundred percent agree with you. And, yeah. um, 
Oops, thank God. <laughs> thank God, because I thought that was going to be a disaster. That started somewhere, and I don't know where it ended up. <laughs> but God damn it, it was magical. <laughs> so poetic. And uh, so I guess with that, it leaves us to the last two episodes. We'll just we'll talk about the last two, but like we'll also talk about the series as a whole and like the main <clears throat> things we kind of pulled out of it. Yeah, we'll see if they tiny loose ends together. Maybe they get some more perspective. I know I was kind of <laughs> bitching and moaning about that this whole, not this whole, but some points during this episode. So we'll see if maybe they have uh, some other talking heads going on. <laughs> Will Michael Jordan win the three-peat? I do not know. Don't Google it, Corey. I, I'm trying not to. I'm so tempted. I know it's killing me. But weird enough, they're playing the 1998 finals on ESPN. Oh, shit. Don't watch <laughs> ESPN's like, wait, that was a typo. <laughs> Quickly, throw in the LeBron Pistons series. <laughs> Get Windhurst on the tape. Brian's here from Orlando talking all things Disney. What's up, Brian? <laughs> oh, hey, guys. Well, LeBron breathed. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Dude, the, whoever did him in Game of Zones was so good. Oh, you want to talk about Game of Zones real quick? I'm on like 5%, so we got to make it snappy. Okay, well, <laughs> uh, it's pretty. It's it was. It's taken a completely different turn than I was expecting. Yeah, MJ related. Yeah, I thought that was cool. How they they're making MJ like the Night King of the realm. Yeah, but know, that was well, weird because I thought they made Kyle Lowry a White Walker, and then they didn't. I know they're the whole thing with the Raptors is so odd, but yeah, I like how Game of Zones is kind of. Um, pushing their content who knows maybe it was in correspondence with the documentary i don't really know but i like how it's all kind of you know happening at the same time culturally this whole um rehashing of whether or not michael jordan is the best and you know could he play and not could he but how well would he play in today's game yeah i thought that was cool and then like how they brought seattle as like the home court i thought that was pretty yeah. cool too yeah i think that's yeah they're doing i think it's very creative what they're doing right now it's just fanfare on a platter <laughs> yeah exactly Good for them. Yeah, those guys. It's a good thing it's ending. Wait. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, Ian, this has been good. I will. Uh, oh, yeah. I'll see you uh, in two weeks for the last two. No, t- next oh, week, yeah. actually. Yeah, next week. Yeah, we'll probably, probably same time, same place. <laughs> <laughs> you know it. Excellent. Thanks, Corey. All right. So thanks again to Ian Lenahan for coming on to talk about The Last Dance Parts 5 through 8. The Last Dance has been really good so far, and I know I sound like everyone else, but I don't know if it's, like, the no sports going on right now or just, like, the Bulls being one of the most historic teams we've seen in the past 50 years, but it's truly entertaining. All right, so thank you all for listening, and stay tuned for this Friday where we're going to talk to Kyle Erickson about the NFL schedule.